Hello and welcome to Trees Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've been to see In the Heights. Yes. You you, you were excited about this one. I was excited at the prospect because I saw it in London. Okay. It wasn't in the West End. There was this theatre behind King's Cross, which I now can't remember. And it had such incredible energy. You know, it was wonderful to see live. Though I did remember thinking at the time that, you know, it would have been an even bigger hit if it had if it had, had more memorable tunes. Mm. Yeah, there was something about the beats and so on. The, yeah, yeah, you were enjoying it as you listened and certainly the dancing and, you know, and so on. It was like kind of exciting, but it wasn't a top musical. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't seen it before. I knew it was Emmanuel Miranda. Music and lyrics by Emmanuel Miranda, um, the musicals from 2005. And uh, the book is by Chiara Alegria Hudes, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's Puerto Rican. In fact, they're both Puerto Rican. There's a big Puerto Rican uh, influence in the, in the film, but actually the main characters, the very central ones, are from the Dominican Republic. Yes. They live on this block in upper Manhattan, Washington Heights, mm-hmm. which is next to Harlem. And the block is Latino. There's a variety of people from a variety of Latino backgrounds and a few others. Mm. There are first generation, second generation people. They're all kind of mixed together. Your main character uh, runs a bodega, mm-hmm. which in the UK we know as a corner shop or a convenience store. There's no cat, which I'm led to believe is very common in bodegas. But there you go, <laughs> bodega cat. <laughs> it's a thing. And although the film begins with him, it spreads out to this cast of characters. It's a real ensemble piece. Everyone has an interesting story to tell. Yes, I I suppose. I mean, there were lots of things I liked about it, although I was basically cynical throughout. Oh, I um, love it. Which is not... I mean, it's not that fair, really, is it? But that's, that can't help it. That's what I was. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought, what is this going to do that... Yeah, has this done anything that surprised me, I thought. And the answer was no. Oh, we see, I would disagree with that. Yeah. Well, go on. Well, I mean, there are other films about the immigrant experience. You know, there are other uh, musicals. I mean, the obvious reference point, I think, is... Uh, West Side Story. Mm. But I think this does things that the other films don't do, you know, which is it places all of these different experiences, some aspects of which are shared, you know, by all the community in a, in a political context, which is done very gently, but it that is very much there. Yeah. DACA is mentioned, which was under Obama, this thing about allowing undocumented immigrants to yes. stay in America. And that was a very controversial thing during his time there. I mean, you know, when you think of like some of the Brexit things and like, so for example, my fears of, you know, being all of a sudden left without a job in a home and, you know, but if you think of somebody who's actually practically born in the country, I mean, he says he arrives with diapers, right? And growing up there and everything and then not being able to go to school, you know, because yeah. yeah, he lacks documentation. I mean, it brings it into a completely different perspective. And it is gently brought in, as you say, because actually the first inkling you get of that is when uh, someone says to him, why do you think you're paid in cash for mm. your work at the bodega? Mm. And then it's not addressed as to actually what it is. Later, when it's revealed he's undocumented, it becomes very, very clear. The film can be read in many ways, but, you know, it has like these little slides, so it's not overtly a rah-rah political film, but all of those... Um, oppressive elements of an immigrant experience, you know, particularly Latino people, uh, and particularly of people of, of Latino people of color, 
are all in the film. They're just there, right? They're, they're not necessarily highlighted for you, but they're there in a way that you don't see in other films. And of course, you know, this is a musical, so the whole utopian thing is there. But it's also kind of framed like in very interesting ways, right? So, so for example, you know, this film could have put the family at the focus, right? Which many other films do, mm. right? But it doesn't, right? Like you do see, like you know, these people create their own family with a abuela who doesn't have her own children, and you know, and kind of people of different ages, and you know, parents are drunks or irresponsible. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jimmy Smith is a good one. Yeah, and he's <laughs> lovely in the part, but you know, you also see Mark Antony. Yeah, uh, who's also wonderful in in that part of the drunken drug addict. He's clearly been in jail from his tattoos, and so I mean, just you know, it evokes a lot. So um, I think I think it's interesting that these things are there. I think it's interesting that they're there in a utopian musical. Mm. Uh, let's say that spoilers will be coming up. Yes, um, I suppose. You see, I suppose when I say it didn't do anything that surprised me, I kind of expected it to, to be attempting to tell all these stories and represent all these different aspects of immigrant life, and particularly Latino life in New York. You know, it's where the writers come from. It's 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 very much of a place. Um, and I suppose of a time as well. Well, there are certain things that you see as kind of stretching back to the, the experience of immigrants no matter when. But there are some things that are more of recent relevance, I suppose. Um and that, that actually feels very unfair of me, right? Like, my basic expectation going in was it will be doing a load of stuff really well. So what's to praise about it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, so I appreciate that I'm not being very fair about that. Um, because, actually, those representations are interesting and well-executed. And, I mean, there's a certain degree of, of use of stereotype in some of it. Like, I think particularly of the women who run the salon you kind of you feel like they're I feel like they're a little bit thinly drawn well I like them and the salon is a place because you know it's the one place where ethnic women or women of color can make a living and run a business and yeah and have I mean the, yeah in a, in a place with very restricted options that is one that's why it becomes such a cliche right hairdressers <laughs> and nail salons right yeah, yeah. You know, kind of women of immigrant women of color don't get a chance to make a business anywhere else. No, sure, uh, but still, I think the characters were were a little more thinly drawn than I would like to. I, I felt like I wanted a bit more from them. They are being basically squeezed out of the neighborhood through gentrification, oh, yeah. and, and that is a running theme in the film, right? When the old lady goes to have, you know, her embroidered napkins cleaned. And, you know, to embroider napkins, to clean embroidered napkins now costs $117 to clean six. Yeah, right. yeah the guy who um, has bought half of Jimmy Smith's business, mm. which he then wants to sell the other half to, or mm. does sell the other half to. Um, the thing about the music, my heart sank whenever the women opened their mouths. And let me finish that sentence, because I didn't like the fact they didn't get to rap. You know, yeah, so Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda wrote Hamilton, right? Which I like an awful lot. And we saw it together in London and had quite yes. a good time. Um, and I know a lot of the lyrics off by heart. I've listened to that a lot. Mm. And, you know... You love it. Yeah. And the lyrics that he writes are... The rap lyrics that he writes are complex. There's a lot of internal rhyme. They're fun to listen to. They're very witty. He's very, very good at it. Mm. And the guys get lots of that in this. And the girls, I don't think, get any. Mm. I was listening for it as well. Like maybe in the opening number, one girl gets a line or two, but the rest is is uh, melodic singing. Mm. Not only that, but the two main, I suppose, uh, women who are I can't remember the character names, but it's the girl who the main guy likes, 
and the girl who, who wants to be a fashion designer, and the girl who the other guy likes. Yeah, who is going to business school in Sanford. Yeah, and uh, and wants to come home because she doesn't feel she has a place there. They're basically these two kind of depressive messes. So they open their mouths, and then the first note is long and slow, and like the, the whole tone drops, and you're like, this woman's going to sing about how what a shit time she's having, and the rest of it, the rest of the musical is is, is quite upbeat. So it's, you know, and I thought to put all that on them to make them the harbingers of depression and and then with these long slow pieces i really had a bad time whenever they started singing i thought they were given a bit of a rum deal it's interesting because you know i was going to complain about the voices right because i think musicals at the moment have to offer more and there was well some of the singing was very beautiful Mm. yeah i really love sometimes the sweet notes that um the black guy and the yeah the boyfriend of the girl yeah who wants to go to Stanford yeah yeah his voice was I, I thought was beautiful sometimes yeah mm. kind of it had really sweet notes but then I also thought that you know one of the things about classical musicals is that they can often bear people who can't sing but there's a great variation in tone through the musical as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's kind of almost like an orchestration of voices. So you could have like several bad ones and just some competent ones, and then you'll have Frank Sinatra, <laughs> yeah, or Judy yeah. Garland, or yeah, and they'll be added to the mix. And so you have this enormous variety and depth in that. Whereas actually, I thought in this musical, it had a very narrow band of voices. Yeah, that most people sang competently, none mm-hmm. sang divinely, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I agree, um, and and the real the only real variation for me is the rapping. Um, I think, especially with the main guy who I recognise from his voice was the guy who played Lawrence in the original cast of Hamilton, uh, Anthony Ramos. He plays Usnavi. Yes, uh, which is a joke that reminds me of, of a similar joke in Arrested Development from maybe a couple of years earlier. Um, it's the the first thing that was written on a boat that his dad saw when he came to America was U.S. Navy. <laughs> so he called his kid Usnavi. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he's... Uh, Anthony Ramos is the guy who was Lawrence in Hamilton. And he's he's terrific. And he's got all the right kind of energy. Yeah. And as he did as Lawrence, you know, Lawrence as the character was like up for it more than anyone and all that kind of stuff. He had a lot of fighting him. You see the same kind of thing in, in the guy here. And the guy with the wonderful voice... Is Corey Hawkins. Is Corey Hawkins, who we remember from the start of Black Klansman, mm. where he played... Uh, Kwame Ture giving a speech. I really remember him from that. It was only a, like he's in for a scene, but you know, really, really remember him from that. He made an impression. The uh, main two women are uh, Leslie Grace plays Nina, who is Corey Hawkins' love interest. I think uh-huh. she's the girl having trouble at Stanford, experiencing racism in Stanford, but also feeling guilty that her father is having to sell the family business, his whole life's work, in order for her to get. A university education, which to me is also an implicit critique of America. I mean, this is a place where, you mm. know, kind of in order to get an education, you've got to sell your whole life. Yeah, I mean, implicit is you know, putting it fairly. I mean, it's it's obvious. Mm. It's right there. Well, <laughs> I don't. I know. I'm not sure that would be obvious to an American audience, which would take it for granted that that you know, if you don't have oh, I suppose, thirty I s- sixty thousand dollars a year extra, your kid doesn't go to, you know, university. Well, I see what you mean, but I mean <laughs> community college. <laughs> you know, college tuition is and loan debt is a problem in America, and it's a it's a constant story. I mean, I hear about it over here. You know what I mean? Like it's one of these stories that makes it across <laughs> across yes. the Atlantic to here. 
as does uh, same thing with with healthcare. You know, it's the same thing basically. These things that are made unbelievably expensive. Yes. By simply the American system, that's freedom, right? Yeah. Your freedom to pay huge yes. amounts of money. Uh, I just saw the other day that um, Joe Biden has apparently forgiven three billion dollars in student loans. Good. And then I saw that the student loan debt is one point five trillion. <laughs> <laughs> so drop in the bucket. Yeah. Um, let's 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 move on to the film because initially. I was actually very disappointed by the look. I thought, you know, because I was wearing contact lenses in the theater because, you know, you have to wear the mask. And I thought, oh, are my contact lenses off? Because, you know, the first 10 minutes of the film seemed almost out of focus, right? Uh, Which, you know, eventually... I think they were. You think? Well, here's the thing. I came into cinema just after you because I was getting popcorn and I saw a guy leaving the screen to go and talk to someone. So I thought, oh, there's a problem with the screening. Yeah. And that was the only thing I could see that was an obvious yeah, yeah, problem. Yeah, the focus. And then the rest of the time I was thinking, maybe this is just what the film looks like. Films do sometimes look like this. They do look a little bit fuzzy sometimes, the way they're projected. I was wondering that as well. And then it got to the end credits, and the names were out of focus. And I thought, no, it's natural. They're not showing it properly. Yeah. I think, I think the film was shown slightly fuzzy. Uh-huh. The other thing, though, actually, was... You know, this is another problem with the women's voices, actually. Is sometimes I felt they got lost in the mix to the point where I couldn't understand the lyrics. I don't think I caught lyrics. When the, when the productions of the songs get quite big and there are a lot of voices involved and a lot of instruments mm. involved, I thought voices, not just the women, the men's as well, when they were singing, were getting completely lost in it, which was a problem. Um, I wanted to understand the lyrics. I didn't, I didn't find that, though what I did find was I wasn't sold on the choreography, mm. right? Because I am one of those people, I just love watching dance. And actually, it brought back memories of, uh, you know, being at the cafe in the film school in Cuba. And, you know, you have people from all over Latin America. And, you know, I, I, I almost, I caught someone looking at me and I thought, he must think I'm a perv, right? Because, you know, you're watching us, like these people dancing. Yeah. And it's just like so, like, amazing. To, yeah, it's such a joy to watch, you know, people who know dance but in a very quotidian way they're not dancers right they're you know, mm. they're just dancing on us on an evening but it's such a pleasure to watch and i thought the film lost sight of that that actually just watching people dance well is a pleasure of its own so it has people doing incredible things with their bodies they're leaping and backflipping and you know doing incredible vogue things with their arms where you think their arm socket's going to fall off but at a really frenetic pace and you know it's combined with the editing and you know so mm. you, you catch these glimmers of extraordinary things but almost like too fast you know like the steps are too fast and yeah I kind of I, I felt they weren't showing me dance at a pace that I could appreciate and also the choreography itself was too frenetic really which might work on stage where you want to build up that energy. But the thing is, on stage, you have no editing. On stage, you can see everything. The whole thing is yes. done in one take, yeah. <laughs> effectively. And here, it's not. And I agree with you. I kind of felt that. I mean, I, I, did, th- I did think, oh, this is going to be something Jose brings up. We bring this up a lot. But I, st- I started to think, no, I, I will agree with him when he says this. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can't predict what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, I, mean? like, you know uh, I, I agree with you. Like, there were things, that, uh, there were elements of that design that I thought were quite interesting, if not impressive. Um, I, I like early on, at the end of the first song, I think, when the main character, the, the uh, bodega owner, is staring out the window 
and in the reflection you see from the outside, you see this choreographed all these dancers that mm. you should be just there. But you know, so it's like he's separated from them. He he longs for them, something like this. It seems to represent something that he wishes for. You know, it's combined with what he's singing about and the tone he's singing. So that's just quite interesting. And then he leaves the bodega and he goes dancing with them, and it's terrific. Uh, but I thought, oh, what an interesting way of bringing them in, and what an interesting kind of image it. it Correct. It's got lots of lovely things. I love the whole number in the pool, you know, with the Busby Berkeley choreography yeah. and, you know. Um, then there are things that I think are brilliant ideas, but they weren't executed well enough. So the scene where, you know, the young girl is walking through the big avenue and all of a sudden it's like bolts of cloth or... Yeah. falling from buildings, right? And it's kind of like her dream is to be a designer. I thought there was something about this, the drop of the cloths that felt too amateurish. Yeah, that, I don't know, you could have given it flair or sweep or the way that it unfolded could have been poetic or expressive of her longing or her dream. Whereas, you know, it was just like, you could, I don't know, it was almost like whatever visual equivalent of Photoshop is a digitized effect. Yeah, and yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful concept. Well, that's it. The, mo- the moment it came up, I thought, oh, what a great idea. Yes. It was dazzling, yes. initially. Yes. And then it wasn't emphasized with the use of camera or anything yes. like that. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's like the idea is wonderful. The execution isn't the same, though I like that a lot more, you know, when there's that rap with the boys walking down the street and you have the lightsabers and all that stuff oh, yeah. being drawn in. So they do gestures and then they're drawn in. Mm. I thought that was great. I also think it could have been better, right? <laughs> and the same with the dancing on the ledge, you know, which was obviously inspired by a stair royal wedding where he dances around the room. Oh, yeah, so they're on the fire escape, the the, the black fella and his Stanford girlfriend. Yes. And um, then they turn 90 degrees and they're walking on the wall of their high-rise. Yes. So it's Benny and Nina? Nina, yeah. yeah. So... I think the director doesn't bring the requisite flair for capturing or for evoking those ideas, for for expressing those ideas in a in a way that's kind of moving, both viscerally and emotionally. Yeah, that's kind of you you take note of the idea and you say, like you said, it's a wonderful idea, but that actually that's where it ends. Yeah, exactly. It remains as an idea, and then uh, the thing with the. Um walking on the wall one was I, was I was sort of going is there more to this what does it mean so you know it, I suppose I guess I thought oh it's sort of saying we can make the world what we want it to but it's quite banal and I didn't think I mean I don't remember the lyrics really but it didn't really seem to fit I mean isn't that the point where she's going back off to Stanford yeah right so like so I don't understand what what about making the uh, the sort of squalid if you like area of the heights you know why would that be why would that be part of that she's she's leaving it I don't know um, I mean that whole character I didn't understand very well either because you know if they're so clearly in love and if they love each other and if they both have ambitions to go to school you know why doesn't she just transfer to NYU or Columbia you're right like I mean there's you know I can't imagine that there's a degree that you can do at Stanford that you can't do in New York I don't know, maybe it's the best school, that's where you need to be. I mean, she got into it, you know, I, I maybe, don't know. Maybe, but 
And then part of that is is actually surviving the fight is kind of an important thing, although I'm not sure that's quite brought out by the script. Mm. Um, and that could be part of it, you know. I mean, I did. I thought it was a very moving scene where she goes to her dad and essentially apologises and says, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And then he has that wonderful line, this is the moment where you become better than me, mm. which is terrific. And he lives it so Jimmy well. Smith it really moved me. Because that's the scene that, that there's real hope in that scene. So, like, there's this thing about everyone has a dream in this film. Starts off with Bodega Guy. Mm. He has his dream to... Um, Usnavi. <laughs> Usnavi. He has a dream to go back to uh, the Dominican Republic and reopen his dad's bar, I think mm. it was. Mm-hmm. That was all, it's all broken and decrepit and he's been spending money, spending money, or, or rather saving money, but spending it, uh, to buy it back. And the whole thing is he's eventually going to go back there and, you know, the dream turns, right? And Well, he realises it's not his dream. That's the other thing, right? So the whole film begins about, like, little dreams that are important, right? And, of course, you know, I mean, for me, it kind of it touched me in a different way because I am an immigrant child, you know, so these things kind of resonate within my own experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, your parents' dreams are not your own. Your parents' home is not your own. Right, like you know, you might be someone of uh, dis- you know d- descended from the Dominican Republic, but actually, you grew up in New York. So yeah, so this dream of return, which has a great pull, as mm. we see in the film, yeah, it, it has a, a great pull for reasons other than your own psyche. Yeah, it's a pull of family, or a pull of culture, or a pull of music, or food, or and we see all of those things in the film. Actually, the film is wonderful. It's show- I mean, you the great care that is taken with the presentation of dishes, yeah, mm. in that in that you know you have a party and they go to great trouble to show you the dishes, mm. right? Because that is evocative of of, of food and home and yeah, you know, the motherland or whatever you want to call it, the place of origin. So the film, in a way, is about that discovery that like so. On the one hand, there's this with the Dominican Republic and he's got a map and. Yeah, which I love seeing, actually, because I don't think I've ever seen that in a film before. And actually, remind me to talk about that, because I think the reason why the film is not a hit has to do with a lot of this being involved in praise and, you know, of, like, all of the different Latin American countries. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, what is it you, f- you feel you've not seen in a film before? You know, when the film begins with a map of the Dominican Republic, right? Mm-hmm. And it's home and, you know, he's talking to the children about this dream and, you know, kind of, you know, what a wonderful place to come from and, you know, mm-hmm. the sea and the, everything. And then there was that scene where it's the hottest day of the summer or whatever and the uh, nail salon people are leaving the neighborhood or have been forced out of the neighborhood and why isn't there anyone to give them a party and they finally find you know uh, people in the alleyway and it is like a, a paean or you know a song of pleasure in they're coming from elsewhere right like mm. you know uh, so you know they Cuba the Dominican Republic Costa Rica Mexico yeah it's kind of like this whole community of Latinos kind of dancing away. And it is like the waving of the flags and so on. And you, and you, I wonder, how is this going to go down in middle America? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they're waving every flag but the American one, which is very unusual, yeah, in a film, actually. I think even in West Side Story, 
you know, the reason why you you have the two rival gangs and one is Puerto Rican and the other one is Polish, right? Like, so you have that whole Aryan, blonde, blue-eyed, mm. yeah, element so that middle America finds an anchor into seeing them as the same, right? But this doesn't have any of that. It's all kind of, you know, Latino people of every shade uh, waving the flags of their place of origin, which they now stake in Washington Heights, right? So it's not this process of becoming American, which is very interesting. They are, yeah, mm. or most of them are American. They just, you know, have uh, origins in uh, uh, less recognized places. I thought that was both really wonderful for the film to do, but I couldn't help but thinking, this is why the film is not going to be a popular hit. How is this going to play, like, in, you know... Well, you never know. North Carolina. <laughs> I mean, you don't know, do you? Until well, you're beginning to find out because the film was expected to be a huge hit. Uh, it's gotten wonderful reviews, and actually, it's been a disappointment at the box office. This is this is from Wikipedia. While some analysts suggested that the film's underperformance could be partially blamed on its simultaneous release on HBO Max, Rebecca Rubin posited in Variety that it could be attributed to alternate factors such as the film's 143-minute runtime, reducing the number of individual screenings per day, yes. 25% of American theatres remaining closed at the time of release, Love that too. and many theatres which had opened limiting audiences due to social distancing, and the film's source material and lead cast members having relatively low name recognition. None of which addresses them in the way that you have, but that's possibility too. No, because I'm kind of, I suppose, adding. I mean, I agree with all of that. Those are all possibilities. But I think there's also a possibility that in a white supremacist America, you know, with Make America Great as a logo, <laughs> yeah, this planting the flag of every Latin-speaking country that has a significant population in the U.S. and not assimilating it somehow into a U.S., flag is a problem or will be a problem for people mm. for certain i mean audiences. to be fair even if they get they wouldn't they'd have to get that far into the film to notice there's no american flag you know i mean they wouldn't even go see do you know what i mean like um well but no come on i mean you know there are things like word of mouth or whatever so you you know <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just saying that's the kind of thing that i expect would play problematically right and we forget that similar things in previous films are always introduced slash restricted by having to offer an Aryan white point of identification mm. or introduction to the material. Mm. Um, I expected more singing on fire escapes. <laughs> There's quite a lot. There was quite a lot and I expected even more. Because um, like I said, when I say all the films was... It, did it surprise me? It wasn't just doing things I expect. I think some of it was in that. Some of it was in the kind of... The, there's something about films about New York that are like just so fucking convinced that New York is great. Yeah. Right? And this film has that, right? Like, it's great. We make a great life for ourselves and no matter what white supremacist America is, we sing and we dance and we have bodegas and we you know, all this, that and the other. We sing in salon. We have a great time. And I kind of imagine, like, what if you made the same film? What if you tried to make In the Heights about a corner shop run by an Asian family in you know like Bordsley you'd be going like basically the film would be going no Birmingham's a shithole this is like <laughs> <a> shit <laughs> do you know what I mean and actually that is also a problem in the film right you know so in West Side Story you have uh, um, Rita Moreno singing that song 
I want to live in America, yeah, which is, you know, a, like a critique as well, right? Mm. You know, and the film has none of that, really. And it certainly has no sense of danger. Now, you know, visually, from what I could tell, it wasn't just set in Washington Heights. Like, you see the projects, right? They're, yeah? Mm. Like, those buildings are the projects. And there's no sense of danger of... Yeah, no, the store gets robbed once. And the, I mean, well, just chase by the guy someone down. who's a client who well, exactly. steals an apple. They just huh. ch- chase the guy down the street and it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the, 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 the closest that the film intimates is the Mark Anthony character. Yeah, the father. Yeah, uh, that was a bit of a wild card moment. That was a wild card moment because I also feel slightly cheated because, you know, Mark Anthony is actually wonderful. In it. He's only there for like about a minute. But, but you know, he's, I think he's wonderful. Mm. Really surprising. Um, but I want Mark Anthony to sing in a musical, <laughs> right? Like, you know, he's one of the great voices and one, you know, one of the great figures of, you know, Latin salsa and pop. And, you know, to have him in a musical and not to have him, you know, fucking Lin-Manuel Miranda gets to sing, you know, he of like very little voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, And you have Mark Anthony and you don't get him to sing? I mean, mind you, I'm glad that Lin Manuel Miranda was in it for as little as he was because the thing, thing is, I do like Hamilton. I think it's very well written. I think it's an incredible concept for a musical. Like, who thought that a musical based on the first the guy who invented the U.S. Treasury would be interesting? You know, but the thing about the guy, yeah, like he he has he, there's an ego to him, or just he's a little bit annoying. He's a charming and charismatic figure, I find in. Um, talk shows but I don't like watching him perform on film mm. you know um, he wasn't great in Mary Poppins 2 no where he was playing the Dick Van Dyke role basically yeah. um, but he does restrict himself because I think he was in the original cast he was the main guy he was, he was Usnavi mm. back when this, in 2005 when this began off Broadway or off off Broadway um, and he played it for a while and now obviously he's too old to do that Um so he's this guy selling uh, frozen flavoured well, ice. Why is he there at all, you ham? Give some young kid a chance to play that role. I know, but it's the cameo you thing, know. is it? But I like the fact he is in it so little because actually it means I can concentrate on the musical and, you know, well, have I wish a better time. there at all. <laughs> have a better time than I would otherwise. Well, so since you bring up you know, your experience, I am interested in what your experience is because you grew up in Montreal as an immigrant kid. Yes. So, which Montreal is not a million miles from New York. No, it's in fact very close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want to know kind of what, what's, what rings true and what doesn't necessarily about the film. Well, many things are true. I mean, you know, kind of there was a community for sure, the, you know, the way that they describe, right? Like, you know, both parents work and you're there to work and to save money, right? So kind of there's very little spent and, you know, one relies on community. And it was also really multicultural. There were Italians and Portuguese and Brazilians and... You know, uh, uh, and and Germans, in fact, you know, and it was also the same way that in this film, you know, they're one generation away from the Italians, sorry, from the Irish in the film. Mm-hmm. We were one generation away from the Jew- Jewish community, right? Like, you know, you still had all the shops that were Jewish, right? Kind of, uh, you know, the smoked meat uh, restaurants and the clothing shops and, you know, uh, um, the, the, the middling supermarket, you know, which was the local mm-hmm. supermarket, you know, those were all Jewish shops, right? So, you know, the neighbors that had been 
made that community had moved to the suburbs or to a better neighborhood, but their businesses continued where they had made them, obviously, right? Um, so, and that was also in the process of, you know, being gentrified, right? Like, you know, I remember, I, I lived in that same neighborhood, you know, as an immigrant kid, and then I was a student, because by the time I became a student, the students were all kind of moving into that neighborhood, right? So, all of those things resonate. The generational conflict, right? The, um, yeah, the kind of, I suppose, parents wanting to live their dreams through you, mm. you know, and kind of the struggle over what you want and what they want. I, I mean, also, to be fair, you know, I grew up in one, one of the roughest neighborhoods, uh, and I ne- we never felt that sense of danger either. Okay. You know? Uh uh, certainly as children, right? It did feel, I mean, I suppose we didn't know any better, you know, kind of, uh, it, w- it was such a community feeling around it that you felt, you just didn't think of it, really. Uh, but also you didn't venture more than a couple of blocks from your neighborhood, right? Then there was a, th- you did feel the danger, yeah? Yeah, very much in this where we get the sense of the people from this block, this is where they stay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing about going to school and, you know, the wonder of it, I mean, you know, I think I think my dad went to work when he was seven. You know, he went to herd sheep, so I think you know he got like no education at all, practically, right? So this thing about like the significance of that uh, was a shared um, thing. Um, yeah, and this kind of, you know, I think uh, the immigrant experience is a weird experience because there's almost like an exile of the mind, and you know, a dream world that goes with it because. You know, you leave the old country behind and, you know, your parents have a longing for it, which they might transmit to a degree, but your existence is completely different, you know. And their experience is one that is blunted by their own knowledge, right? So, you know, I remember my parents, for example, you know, we moved to Canada and every time they'd see a woman in a miniskirt, they were scandalized, right? Mm. People kissing in the street, scandalized. You didn't do that where we were from in Spain, right? But then, of course, the years go by and they think that the Spain that they left, it was the Spain, you know, from the 1950s when they were young, right? And they don't see that Spain has also changed. Yeah, there's also a 70s in Spain, yeah, and an 80s in Spain, that would shock them even more, right? Like, you know, if, yeah. So, uh, uh, so I mean, actually, you don't see too much of that, but though, you know, um, yeah. You, but the, the, I think there are really shared immigrant experiences. Yeah, kind of, no matter wh- where people immigrate from, um, you know, at least structurally, there are. And I think the film touches on those very, very well. And I was kind of, you know, I was kind of moved by them, really. Mm. Like, it touched me, the film. It worked on me. I think maybe one thing that I had an issue with, which I'm starting to figure out, and this, again, comes down to what what do I mean when I say, did the film surprise me, is um, that those various aspects of immigrant experiences, such as, experiencing racism at school or, or mm. the, the, the pressure of having to go to school because that's what your parents want, being undocumented, running a small business, being forced out of running a small business, your dream of making it and so on, they are kind of compartmentalised in the film. Like Each character gets to represent one. Sure. And I think that's... I, I get, It makes a certain amount of sense. I, I, I suppose it kind of keeps things simple, but it, if, but it, it makes things feel simple. 
doesn't make things feel as complex as they might to me. Ex- well, exactly. So, for example, I just didn't feel any sense of danger or threat in the protagonist, right? What is the block to their desire? They don't seem to really... No, there isn't one. He's going there. He's paid off the thing and he's yeah. going. You know, so, whereas, you know, the thing about West Side Story is there were real dangers. Yeah, there was something really at stake, right? Uh, you know, kind of, they left the old country because there was no food. <laughs> they were hungry, <laughs> right? Like, uh, uh, yeah, and then there's knife fights and, you know, trouble in high school of the different ethnic groups, right? That You know, there, there's a sense in which kind of there are dangers and there are fears and there are things to overcome. I think there's, in this film, there doesn't seem to be... I think well, it's interesting, actually, that becoming comfortable is kind of seen as a danger, actually. You know, like the idea that actually things were right. Because a lot, like I say, a lot of these people, it's set in the present day, right? So a lot of these people are second-generation immigrants, their parents are immigrants, but they've grown up in the mm. US or they came to the US at a very, very young age. So they've effectively uh, grown up in the US since they were five or six years old. And, you know, it's that thing about the heat, right? Which I think the heat is, they do an abysmal job yeah, of, of actually communicating the heat. If yeah. you think about do the right thing, right? Yeah. That's how you show how it gets hot in New York. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how you communicate that feeling. But okay, you never mind that. You accept the fact it's getting extremely hot this summer. And then there's that scene where everyone sat outside. It's when the, the salon ladies are mm. gearing up to leave and there's no one there. And they're all sat outside in this courtyard just lazing about. And she effectively says, like, I've never seen Latin people succumb to heat before that's not what we do mm. you know and there is this kind of implicit thing in there about uh, you've got comfortable being in America mm. you know there's a certain feeling to that that like yeah that, I, I, I can see that I mean I don't know um, so I love the film you know I really loved watching it yeah I could see myself watching it again but I also think it's not really quite good you know <laughs> even though, yeah, like, the reviews have been fantastic. I think it doesn't have enough grit, enough cynicism, enough um, nous, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing about, you know, about being in a big city, you know, and being in a poor neighborhood in, in a city is that you have to be smart about surviving it, right? Like, mm. you know, you've got to be, you've got to be kind of sharp, Right and kind of be aware of what's happening around you and be able to respond to things quickly and so on. And there's something like Two Valley Girl or something about this film. It doesn't have that New York energy and wit and, you know, yeah, like kind mm. of, you know, of people who have to scramble a living where there isn't one, right? So you have to like Jimmy Smith saying, oh, well, you know, I learned how to shine shoes and with the first nickel I got, I bought the shoe polish. Well... You know, the film doesn't have a feeling, yeah, of that energy and and wit and intelligence that you have to have to survive a place like that. Yeah, you don't get that feeling of people having to scramble, and it, which, and considering the fact they're mostly out all day dancing, <laughs> you think they would have no money. <laughs> you know, and actually, a lot of that it, it it comes through dialogue. You have the thing with Jimmy Smith, as he just said, and there's also the thing with Abuela. Yes. Who um, who talks about uh, her mum buying the velvet gloves because our hands were were ruined from yeah, and you uh, have to maintain your dignity exactly yeah. right, and which is why she you know the napkins are so important to her. Like you have these beautiful things, and again, it's 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 a, an interesting idea, and it's expressed well in the line of dialogue, but it's not really expressed in the film. 
Yeah. You know who I'm thinking of when I think of like this New York energy? I think of James Cagney. <laughs> right, the way he is on film, yeah, that kind of smartness, yeah, and energy, and like, yeah, the speed, it's kind of hyperactivity. Yeah, it's like you know, it could just, you know, but he's always got a joke, and he's always got an angle, and he's willing to use his fist. Yeah, that kind of combination, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, uh, that you see in New York films in general. This is lacking in this film. Now, it might be because it's a different period and a different generation, but actually it's kind of describing the same milieu, you know? It's like, yeah. People are pussies these days. (laughs) (laughs) The main guy, um, who who is a very likeable character, you know, there's that scene where he goes clubbing uh, and he's on this date with with the girl who he obviously likes. And and it's an odd scene because he basically... Well, she says, you abandoned me, right? You let me go off dancing with all these other guys. And then you get the feeling like he really couldn't take any of them in a fight, even though he says he couldn't. I mean, it's an obvious joke. And and actually, a lot of it, you could, in that scene, I'm going, what, what's the attraction to this guy for her? You know? Well, because he's he's a hard worker and he's cute and he's good to his family. I see the yeah, attraction. He spends the entire scene proving that he's a bit of a waste of time no, uh, in a club. Does, he doesn't know how to go about doing those things because he's too... Good. I liked him. And actually, I thought it was a very difficult role to play. Mm. Let me tell you, right? Because it's a nothing of a... It's the lead role, but I think it's also a nothing of a role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, it might be great if you do it on stage and you get your musical numbers, but actually, if you're just thinking about a, a character that has depth and complexity and can show different sides and... The, the role is one-dimensional. Uh, so it's very difficult to play, right? And I think it's also kind of very difficult to... This is going to sound wrong, but to... I was going to, th- I was going to say to not make him look gay, I, to make him convincingly <laughs> heterosexual, yeah, in this part. And I think he carries that off. You know. How do you mean? Well, um, it's a nothing role... It's, all, it's an old-fashioned role. He's just moony about this girl. Mm. He doesn't know how to talk to her, right? Like, he's got to get his kid brother to ask for the date or his cousin to yeah. ask for the date. I mean, really? Like, I don't believe any of it. You know? I didn't feel chemistry between uh, him and the girl mm. at all, really. And, and the whole kind of longing, it's there on paper, but I didn't really feel that either. No, I did kind of feel it. Uh, I did feel it from him. I think she's not very good, you mm. know? Um... I mean, I think she moves very well, and she's very uh, beautiful, I think. And she's wonderful in the dancing bits, but she's not wonderful in the acting bits. But I think he is wonderful, and he's very charismatic, mm. you know, and he, and he pulls off this part, which I think, you know, is the lead in a big-budget musical, but it's a nothing of a part. Yeah, it, it is a disappointing role. It's essentially the narrator and someone who pines over a girl. There's not mm. a lot going on yeah. in that role. You but know. that's why I say it is It is one of many protagonists. It is a real ensemble piece. And actually, what's central about his role is that he tells the story for everyone. He narrates it. Yeah, but that's he's, really... al- he's also the, the central love interest. I mean, the central male protagonist. Yeah, no, he so, is. Um, but it's a little bit more kind of spread out than that. Sure. It's got other things, right? It's got the, you know, the, the, the nail salon owner gets a number... The abuela gets a number, mm. you know, there are many ensemble numbers, right? So, um... I, tell you, I, I know what you mean, though. He is the main role. Yeah. He is the main character. Um, think about abuela. I didn't know whether to be annoyed or not when they killed her off, 
right? So, so it's on the blackout, first night of the blackout, and you subsequently find out due to the heat, and uh, and she's not been taking her medication. She passes away as she goes to bed, hmm. and you know the moment she lies down, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to kill her. Which you know, it's not it's not been like obvious that it's coming, but then the moment happens, and think, oh, they're not going to kill her, are they? Because well, for one thing, she's extremely likable as a character, but another, it feels like such an obvious thing to do to generate some sympathy or something. Yes, it's a wonderful actress, and she gets a beautiful number, I think. And I think it could have, there could have been more done with it kind of symbolically, right? Because the thing is, you're introduced to her as Abuela, and then you're told, oh, she's not my real grandma, but she's everyone's grandma. She didn't have kids of her own, as you said. She adopted everyone on the whole block. She's raised us all. Mm. And... One of the questions of the film is is what makes the community a community, and when she dies, that like that could be called into question, right? Like she's the one who holds us all together, or something. And what what's going to happen to the community? But it doesn't pay off symbolically. It's not done. Nothing's no. done with it in that sense, which made me feel like it's artistically wasted. Put it that way, her death. Also, I think the film has too many, or the story has too many holes. Right, because the whole thing is about this tight-knit community. Everybody knows each other and everybody's grown up with each other and lovely. But gentrification is pushing them all out, right? So kind of, you know, the, the neighborhood's too expensive for these poor people to live in now, mm. right? So some of them are thinking of, of going back uh, uh, to, to the Dominican Republic and some of them are thinking of, uh, you know, moving to the Bronx where they set up the same businesses, Right. And then the end of the film is basically you stay in where you were in Washington Heights. It kind of, it doesn't make sense, right? You're being <laughs> pushed out. All your clients are being pushed out, right? Yeah, yeah like those pressures kind of cease to exist when you yeah. just decide that they're not there anymore. Exactly, right. It's like when Wiley Coyote just chasing Roadrunner and then he goes <laughs> off the end of the cliff and the only time that he falls is when he looks down. Like, they're just not looking down. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, we've been making a lot of criticisms on it. And the fact is that I still love it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was kind of tapping my head and uh, I was really engaged with it. There were a couple of moments that really touched me. There were a couple of flourishes that I really appreciated, so, you know. So they have this little montage of significant Latin figures you know, they show Rita Moreno and Celia Cruz and, you know... Frida Kahlo. And Frida Kahlo. She's and the I, one I recognised. And then they add in Sonia Sotomayor at the end. Yeah. Which was really nice. It's clearly an addition, you know. And, and, you see, these are the things where I think they're wonderful ideas and I was very happy to see them. But they don't quite cohere. Because my question is, what was Frida Kahlo doing there? I mean, to my knowledge, she wasn't an immigrant in the US. I mean, she's a Mexican artist married to a great Mexican artist who lived most of her life in Mexico. Like, what's she doing with Celia Cruz? The revolution in Cuba forced her into, you know, exile in New York, and then she lived the next 40 years of her life in New York. She's an immigrant. Yeah, like, uh, you know, kind of Rita Moreno was Puerto Rican, and, you know, she made a big impact in movies and television and Broadway. You know, I get it, right? But how does Frida Kahlo come into that picture? I, I think it might take seeing that scene again to actually figure out because he because it doesn't just come up. He has something to say, which then brings up these you know like seven key uh, Latina figures, right? But I wonder is is it to do with their being immigrants or is it there to do with just being the kind of Latina heroes heroines? Well, I don't know. I mean, it starts off with women who are heroines because they are Latina. Americans, mm-hmm. you know, right. 
So, whereas, you know, Kahlo is Mexican. I think it has more to do with say, okay, well, we've chosen one person from Puerto Rico, one person, you know, from the Dominican Republic, and yeah, now we need a Mexican. Well, I think they've, got, right. they've we've chosen one person that I will recognize. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest will be recognized by Latinas. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, Chita Rivera, Rita Moreno, Celia Cruz, and then Frida Kahlo? Yeah, Ava uh, Perón. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 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 there's something about the film that is just not good enough, you know. And so, I think I have to ask myself, then, why did you enjoy it so much, really? Because I did, you know. And I think there was something about the rhythms of the music. I love the color palette, which is really colorful, but in a very pastel-y way. Mm. Yeah. Even though the music wasn't great, I love the Latin rhythms. I love the rap. I love the attempts of... I love the film's inventiveness. It is inventive. It's just not poetic with its inventiveness. Mm. Yeah, Maybe I'm asking too much of it, you know. So I like it very much. You think it's pandering to your Latino-ness? Well, I, I'm not asking that seriously. The, the, thing is, the, the thing is, isn't it wonderful to see these lives represented and there should be no question of having to invite white characters to, you know, kind of comment on all... I, I mean, I, I know, I think it's marvellous that the film does that. I'm just saying that that might also be part of the reason why the film isn't as popular as was expected. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but who cares why it's popular? We're talking about why you like it. Oh. You know. um, no, I kind of, you know, I, I mean, you know, I am a European, really. A Europe, I'm a Spanish-Canadian, really, so... I never thought of myself as Latino until you are interpolated that way. By other people. By other people, right? So, you know, when you go to the U.S. and you are picked out on the border as in stop to be questioned for no reason other than you have the name you have, mm. right? So at those moments, you feel kind of the weight of the oppression against Latinos. But it is a different culture than mine, cultures than mine, but I just love them. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. the music and the culture and the dancing and the food and I identify with a lot of it, you know. Uh, so I get, I, I do get a real joy out of seeing it and seeing it represented on film and some of it for the first time. I mean, again, when we talk about, you know, this pay-in to the Dominican Republic, I've never seen that in a, an American film mm. before, you know. So, and I liked seeing it. Um, you got like a contact high through being Spanish. A little it's bit. Like, <laughs> you're close to it. Though, you know, I mean, kind of, let's get these things clear, because there's an incredible amount of racism in Spain against Latin Americans, yeah? A lot of uh, Spanish people would not in any way identify with Latin Americans. Is that so? so yes, that is so. Uh, so... Um, is that a bit like how we don't like the Australians? Uh, no, I mean, I think basically what happened in Spain is... Uh, I think in the 80s, uh, you know, people from all over Latin America emigrated there for work. You know, the way that Spanish people of a previous generation emigrated to Canada for work. But it resulted in a lot of discrimination. Yeah, and people mm. see, I mean, there is also visible differences, you know, kind of people speak differently and they behave differently and they sometimes look differently. You know, so it kind of gives uh, a racist culture a real target mm. uh, so, um, yeah. Yeah. That does sound like why we don't like the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I liked it very much. I liked it quite a bit as well. Um, maybe more than I expected. 
Um, but I did feel like I was kind of watching a distance throughout most of it. That's just who I am. Doesn't matter. You know, that's the way it goes. I think, I think there is something about the film. I don't think it's just you. So I think the film is appealing to me for reasons that have to do with me more than they have to do with the film's own achievements. Mm. But there's still a lot in it to enjoy. Yes, I still loved it. So um, I would recommend that you see it. And actually, it was very nice to be in the cinema and to have other people around us for a change. I mean, mm. yeah, there's been a few times where we've either been alone or there's been maybe a couple of other people. That, yeah. Yeah. So on on previous podcasts recently, we we did Spiral and uh, Corella. And, you know, I referred to us talking to each other in the cinema. And I want you to know that we were alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do have etiquette. And we didn't do it in this film. Um, yeah, I mean, Corella, we really were properly alone. I think in Spiral, there was someone sat about 25 yeah. seats away from us. Uh, this wasn't um, crowded by any means. But, you know, there must have been, a good, I don't know, 20 people. Or yeah, something. yeah. Uh, so a more reasonable audience for an early showing on a Sunday, which is when we saw it. Uh, so I was very glad to see people back at the movies and, you know, to see this particular movie. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website with 301 podcasts now. Not only the podcast, but... The best British podcast on film, as voted by Film Stories. Yeah. <laughs> Is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. I think you'll find we were actually podcast of the week. Why is your you always ruining my illusions? <laughs> <laughs> you're puncturing my dream. <laughs> yeah, your escuelo, whatever the word was. <laughs> anyway. What's the word? What's the name of his bar in the thing? Does he name it the, his dream? Yeah, sueño is dream. Sueñecito. Small, little dream. Right, is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. There you go. I kill your esfuerzo. Yes. <laughs> you stomp on it. <laughs> you dance a tarantella on my dream. <laughs>